how exciting it is to be able to come and worship and honor the Lord. And oftentimes we think of church uh, for what we get out of church. And we'll say that it was an inspirational service or that, that I learned something in the word. And, and all of that's good. We want you to say that every week. But we come for worship for a different reason first. Do you know what that is? So that God would be pleased by our presence, by our singing, by how we respond to his word. And I believe that God has been pleased by our worship today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we'll be in chapter one today. We'll be in chapter one and then next week chapter four and then we'll skip around a little bit. Uh, but we're trusting that over the next several months we'll be able to talk about every single verse in the book of Ephesians. But I am extremely excited about this first chapter. This is week number three in the first 19 verses of the book. And the reason why we've slowed down for this part of the book is because these 19 verses, really verses three through 19, give us a, a description of salvation that is just amazing. These 19 verses are a study on the subject of salvation. They plumb the depths of our relationship with the Father. They investigate how Jesus Christ could pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. They analyze our adoption into God's family so that we can understand and rejoice with that. I love these verses because uh, from the perspective of the past, eternity past, uh, they teach us about salvation. Verse four says, for he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And then they talk about salvation from the from the perspective of the present, verse nine that says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. That's what he's doing today. And then they look at salvation from the perspective of what is yet to come. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. And so we look forward to even more in the future. I remember 26, 27 years ago, uh, when I went to a jewelry store, maybe for the first time in my life, to buy a diamond for my girlfriend uh, to see if there was a chance that she would be my fiance and eventually my wife. And so I didn't know anything about jewelry stores or diamonds, uh, but if you'll tell the people at the jewelry store that, they are happy to help you. <laughs> and so they showed me some diamonds, they put them under a microscope, uh, one of these stereoscopes, and they would shine a bright light on the diamond and they would turn it around. And they were telling me how wonderful it was. It didn't occur to me then that my wife would probably never look at this under a microscope. And it may not have mattered as much as they suggested, but uh, they were telling me about the diamond. And as they would turn it, it, it would reflect light differently. And I could see some of the brilliance of the stone. I could see its luster. They talked about the four C's of a diamond, its color and clarity and cut and carrot, I think. And it was, it was an amazing process. And when I read through Ephesians 1 through 19, uh, I believe that the same thing is happening here 
because the writer of Ephesians holds up salvation and then helps us to look so closely at it. He shines a light on it and helps us to see it from every perspective so that we see its brilliance and we see its luster and we can rejoice with the wonder of salvation. So we've, we've preached two sermons on this. Today will be number three. Uh, but let me tell you, we're, we've just scratched the surface. We could preach three more from these verses and still not cover all the wonder of salvation that is contained right here. Uh, our roadmap has been to look at some vocabulary words. Uh, we started with the word predestination. Uh, I meant to get to the word adoption in that message. We just ran out of time. Uh, then last week, our vocabulary word was redemption from verse 7. And today, our vocabulary word is inheritance. Or as uh, the writer here says in verse 18, a glorious inheritance. In fact, let's start there. Look with me, Ephesians 1:18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He says, my prayer for the people who would read this letter, see this letter, hear this letter in Ephesus, he says, my prayers that you might understand this glorious inheritance. And then in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power toward us, who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. And so I want us to take a few moments this morning and try to understand what this glorious inheritance is. Uh, if, if you don't get excited about this today, church, then there's something wrong with you. You know, I had to make just a blanket statement like that, but, but, but here's what Paul says. I am praying that you would just catch a glimpse at this inheritance. And if you do, you'll see that it is so glorious. It is so wonderful. It will affect you. It will change you. And so we'll seek to see what he's showing the church at Ephesus today. So it's a simple message. What is our glorious inheritance? Uh, we'll run down through these verses and I'll show you three or four things. But let's begin to read. I want to read the entire passage uh, that speaks of the inheritance beginning in verse 11. The Bible says, in him we also received an inheritance. And so there's that word. Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. So we have this inheritance so that we can bring praise to the Lord. Now, verses 13 and 14, that's where we'll spend most of our time today. Here we see some of the details of the inheritance. <coughs> He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And then verse 15, I want us to, I want us to go one verse further. This is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And then he introduces the prayer that we, that we spoke of earlier. Let's, let's look back at verses 13 and 14 and let's see if we can 
investigate and discover what is this glorious inheritance. Number one, I want you to see that it is the approval of God, the approval of the Father. Now we see that in verse 13, and please keep your Bibles open because we're going to look back at these two verses over and over and over. But I see in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, we're going to come back to those two wins, W-H-E-N, in a moment. But then notice he says, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. What does it mean that we were sealed? Well, a seal in those days was most often a piece of wax, pigmented wax, and so it would have some color to it, and you'd put it on the bottom of a document where you as a ruler had declared something to be true, or you had given an order for people to do something, or maybe it's a business agreement between two people. You're selling some property, or you're making some other kind of arrangement, and so you put this seal, <coughs> you put this seal on the bottom, and it would be a piece of melted wax, and then the ruler would have a ring that would have some distinctive marks on the ring, and he would press the ring into the wax, leaving this distinctive mark to indicate that it was that ruler, it was that person who had signed the document and had authenticated the document. So the Bible says as part of our inheritance that God has placed the Holy Spirit in our lives as a seal, as a seal. Now, what does the seal mean that he has put into our lives? Well, it means a few things, but I want you to see here that the seal means that, it, that God's authority, that God's decision, that God's promise is upon us. The seal makes it true. Now, oftentimes when we want to understand what the Bible means in one place, we should turn to see what it says in another place. And as I did this with the word seal, I came across something very interesting in the Gospel of John chapter 6, verse 27. And so here Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking of himself. You see the verse on the screen. I'm going to look at just the last few words. He says, God the Father has set his seal of approval on Jesus Christ, on him, which is Jesus Christ. Now, here, here's what you ought to see first of all, is that the seal is a seal of approval. God is saying that I have recognized that Jesus is the genuine article, that Jesus is authentic, and that Jesus has my full approval. That's what God is saying of Christ. And so if we fast forward to Ephesians chapter 1, and it says that God has put the seal on us through the Holy Spirit, he is saying that we are genuine, that we have the approval of God. I am approved by God. My salvation, my standing with God, my status is approved, guaranteed. God has signed off on it, and he says it is true and genuine and authentic. Doesn't that encourage you? I remember a bunch of years ago, I and my family, we were overseas, and we had some time to waste. Uh, we went to some, some stores, just some junk stores, uh, tourist trap kind of stores, and they had all of these pieces of name brand merchandise. Uh, they had Rolex watches, they had Gucci, uh, Louis Vuitton, all this stuff, and it was amazingly cheap. Now, of course, it was 
They were fakes. They were every, everything this store sold was a fake. And so I'm, we're just looking around, and there were a bunch of little stores, and I'm looking at a, um, a jacket. I, I put it down because I couldn't remember. I'm not a, a name brand kind of person, but it was a North Face jacket. I started to say a members only jacket, but I would have dated myself. <laughs> so I'm looking at this North Face jacket and true story, uh, the sales lady comes over and she tells me that this North Face jacket, that it is a real fake. She said the other stores here, the stuff they sell are knockoffs of the fake stuff that she sells. She says, this is a real fake. All those other stores are selling fake fakes. And you know, I think about um, many people who are right here in our church today or watching uh, the services from home. Many people struggle with their salvation and they wonder, am I a genuine Christian? Am I a fake Christian or am I a fake, fake Christian? I know people struggle with that. And I'm going to try to help you with that all the way through the message uh, today. But I want you to see here that when we become children of God, that God puts this seal on us, the seal of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit part of that in a moment. God puts this seal on us to guarantee that we are approved. Not that we have a little extra time, not that we have a second chance to get things right, but that we are fully and eternally approved by the Father. And that's good news. Now, how are we approved? Look back at verse 13. You notice the first two words, in him, you also, and then you skip down to the end of the verse, you were sealed, you see those same two words, in him with the Holy Spirit. What, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, in Jesus. You see that repeated over and over through this passage. I am approved not because of what I have done, not because of the life that I have lived, not because of the changes that I have made, not because of my own rule keeping, not because I've kept promises, but I am approved because of what Christ has done. In him, I have been approved. And that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Now, when does that happen? When does that happen? And this, this will begin to answer some questions about an assurance of our salvation. How can you know for sure? Because verse 13 tells us exactly when God approves us. Look at the verse again. In him you also, when, W-H-E-N, you'll see that word twice, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed then you were sealed in him. So when did it happen? When two things were true. When you had heard the word of truth. Now that doesn't just mean that you heard the sounds of somebody sharing the gospel, but when you heard and understood the truth, when you understood that you're lost uh, apart from Christ, that it's hopeless for you to ever earn your way to God and that your only hope is what Jesus has done. When you have heard it and understood it and then when you have believed it, when those two things happen, then you're sealed, then you're approved. What does it mean to believe? <coughs> 
Well, it, it's interesting, and I don't want to take more time that's, that's necessary here, but it's interesting the word believe here. In the Greek, it's the word pistuo, which is the verb form for the word faith. Now, let me give you a little grammar lesson here, if I can. Uh, the word belief, B-E-L-I-E-F, is what part of speech? Do you know? A noun, a verb, an adjective. Belief, what is that? It's a noun. It's a noun. Now, if, if in, in English we want to take the noun belief and we want to turn it into a verb, what is the verb for belief? Believe. Believe, okay, your grammar teachers did well. Now, take the noun faith, faith, F-A-I-T-H. Now, in English, what is the verb for faith? There's not one, is there? That is a deficiency of the English language. In many languages, there is a verb for faith, just like there is a verb for belief. So what are the, what are the, translators of our English Bibles do when they come across the verb for faith. They can't put faith, that's a noun, they have to put a verb, the sentence wouldn't make sense. So what do they do? They put the verb believe, believe. Now what's important to us then is that we recognize that I think in every single instance in the New Testament, when you read the word believe, the verb believe, the word behind that is the verb for faith. Now, why is that important? Well, because he's not just talking about a belief. He's not just talking about believe in Jesus like you believe that George Washington was the first president. I mean, I believe in that, but I'm not trusting my life on it. It doesn't affect how I live. It is just an intellectual assent. Now, what he's talking about here when he says that I must understand and I must believe, he's talking about I must, I must comprehend the gospel that I'm hopeless apart from Christ, Christ is enough. I must understand the gospel and then I must trust in that. I must have faith in that. Faith is belief plus trust. It's both things. And that if, that if I understand and I trust, then I am sealed uh, with the Holy Spirit of promise, I am approved. Isn't that good news? You know, the Bible doesn't want us to live with doubts. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, that these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But I, I want you to just appreciate the fact that when we understand and when we trust that God gives us his full approval, his full approval. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever faced uh, maybe um, a time of, uh, of judgment? Maybe, maybe you, you can remember back when you were young and you would bring your report card home and you'd show mom and dad and you handed them that report card with trembling fingers because you you worried of the judgment that would come, or, or maybe, maybe it's more recent, or, or maybe you're older and it's uh, been, um, it, it's been the scrutiny of a boss, or, or maybe you've been audited by, uh, by the IRS or something, and so you, you approach that with some, with some trepidation. But just imagine 
that before you hand that report card over to mom and dad, you open it and you see that there is nothing on that report card but A pluses. Now, would that change your attitude? Would that give you some, uh, some encouragement? You would hand that report card over with pride. Look at this, mom and dad, because you know that there's no condemnation for those who have A pluses, right? And so here what he says is that I am approved. I'm 100% approved. Did you know that there's nothing I could do that, that would lead God to make me more approved, that would make me more acceptable to God than I am right now? Because my approval doesn't depend upon me, but it depends upon Christ. I am approved. And that's a part of my inheritance. Now, one other thing you notice about an inheritance here is is the word inheritance. God chose that word carefully. When we receive an inheritance, we don't pay for that, right? You don't work to earn an inheritance. It wouldn't be called an inheritance. No, an inheritance is somebody else worked for that. And our salvation, our approval with the Father is not by what we do, but it's because of the work of Christ in a sinless life and the death on the cross. And so the first thing we see about our inheritance is that, is that we've been approved, fully approved. Now, the second thing I want you to see is, this, is security, the security that's in our inheritance. And you see that also right here in verse 13. Often people say, Pastor, there was a time in my life when I was saved. That's the word we like to use, that I was saved, but I'm no longer saved. I've I've gone a different direction. I've made some poor decisions. And, and I was saved, but I'm no longer saved. Well, let's talk about that. It may, in fact, be true that you are not saved, to use that word. But it is not true that you were saved and now you have lost your salvation. And I want to explain to you why. It all comes down to this seal that God has placed on those who've put their trust in Christ, to those who've been adopted into the family of God, this seal that has been placed on us, this is a seal that guarantees our salvation forever and ever and ever. Now let me show that to you in scripture. Uh, first of all, I want you to see the duration of the seal. So when this legal agreement is made and when the Holy Spirit is set as a seal on us, how long, what's the expiration date, how, how secure is this? Well, the Bible tells us in a number of places, but I think the best one for us to look at today is right here in Ephesians. It's over a page or two in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 30. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but you can. Uh, the passage says, do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a... That's a phrase we'll come back to in a few weeks for sure. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, for you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. He says the seal that has been placed on us lasts until when? Until the ultimate day of redemption. Until I stand before God, I see him face to face, I am fully, finally, and completely saved. That's how long the seal will last. And so this seal that is guaranteed, by the way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's placed on there by God. It is the Holy Spirit. This seal lasts forever, forever. That's an encouragement. 
Now, let me show you something else that we know about the seal. The protection of the seal. The duration of the seal. I don't know if I said that. And then the protection of the seal. Well, what about enemies that might come along? What about an enemy that might remove or destroy the seal? What about the enemy that might come and cancel the seal? What about the enemy of ourselves with our own propensity to sin, with our own wicked hearts? Well, those are good questions. And Jesus answers those questions. Listen to what he says, John chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now, I want to read the rest of this, but let's just stop there. Eternal life. He says you give us eternal life. How long do you think eternal life lasts? Well, eternal life lasts forever. That's why it's called eternal life. If he had said, if he had admitted he was going to give us life for a couple of years until we really messed it up, he wouldn't have said eternal life. And then when does he say we'll perish? When does our eternal life end? He says we will never perish. But that's not even what I want you to see. It gets better. He, he goes on in the verse and he says, not one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. No enemy can remove the seal. Well, what about then the strength the strength of the seal. Uh, if an enemy can't steal it, what about just the distractions of life? What, what, what about my own propensity to sin? What about the distractions that come? What about temptations and failures and broken commitments? What about the sins of others? Can they destroy the seal? Well, those are good questions. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, the strength of the seal. We can rest certain that our salvation is signed, sealed, and delivered by God the Father because of Christ the Son through the Holy Spirit. Uh, when we're redeemed, when we're forgiven, the blood of Christ is applied to our life for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And if you think about it, if... If I am saved, not by what I do, but because of what Christ has done, if that's how I'm saved, not by me cleaning up my life and earning my salvation, if I'm saved by the grace of God, then how do I stay saved? Same way. Same way. I'm saved because of the goodness of God and 100% because of the goodness of God. And frankly, I stay saved because of the goodness of God. It's 100% the grace of God. I could never have been good enough to save myself. And as a saved person, I could never be good enough to keep my salvation. I'm thankful it's not up to me. We, uh, we see in this inheritance that, that we're approved, but we also see that we are secure. Now, I know that still may leave some questions in people's minds. Maybe you're thinking, well, what about people who just turn away from God? Pastor, I, I can name some people. Just, they just walked away from God. What do you say about those? What about people whose faith just fizzles out over time? Does it, does it matter then how we live if salvation is secure? Can I just go live however I want to live? Uh, well, I'm going to answer all of those questions. 
But let's just stop here and be thankful for this much of the inheritance. It is secure because it is guaranteed by the power of God and not by me and you. Now, the third thing about this uh, inheritance that will help us to answer some more of these questions is, is its promise. Promise. Now, let's look at the next verse, verse 14. It says, he is the down payment of our inheritance. Now, what, is it, what does it tell us if the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the inheritance? That means there's more to come, right? If you make a down payment on a car or a house or, a, or a, an engagement ring, then that means that there should be more money coming, right? You've, you've made an initial investment, but that's just the beginning. There's more coming. And so here, uh, the Lord tells us that, that what we've received so far is but a down payment for what God is going to do. There is a promise here that God will do more. Now, all of these are part of the inheritance. I want you to get excited about all of them. I am 100% approved. My eternity is secure. But, but notice this. God has promised to do more in me and through me and for me. And that's an encouragement. What I have received so far, my, my sweet salvation that I love and adore and am so thankful for is but a down payment of what God is going to do. I tried to think of the best way to explain this. and I, I, th I think the best way it's just for me to talk about me for, for a moment. And I don't want to make this about me, but maybe what is true of me is true of you. I am extremely dissatisfied with me. Now, God has done so much good in my life. If you knew the things I did and the person I was 35 years ago, before I accepted Christ, you probably wouldn't sit here and listen to me. Um, and I don't mean that as an exaggeration. And God has done just remarkable things in my life. He has changed me. He has modified my heart. But I am still so frustrated about my sin. I see it every day. I'm frustrated at how quickly I can have a bad attitude, how my mind can wander how I can be weak when faced with temptation. I know how the Apostle Paul felt when he wrote in Romans chapter 7 these words, I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. The desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I am so dissatisfied with Noel Deere, but I know that God's not through with me. Does that make sense? And I know that the changes that God has made in my life 
in the last decades as a child of God, the changes that God has made, they're but a down payment of what he's going to do. That, that there is such a promise here. There is such a promise of future. The good news is God's not finished. What he's begun, he will finish. He has put down the down payment. He will pay it off. And he will continue to work in me until the last day when I am made like Christ in character. I love Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, I am sure of this. I am sure of this, he says, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. There are few verses in the Bible that bring me more encouragement than that. I think about 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. And I can't wait until that day. And so when I get frustrated with my own sin, I think about the seal of the Holy Spirit and the down payment that God has made and God's perfect credit rating when he says, I will finish the payment in Noel Deer's life. I will finish what I started in Noel Deer's life. This inheritance is so wonderful. I have the approval of God. I have the security of salvation, but I have the promise that God's not through with me. And then one last thing is a foretaste, is a foretaste. So look back at verse 14. I want you to see that again. He is the down payment in our, of our uh, in inheritance. The gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I told you we would get to the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit in me represents the promise that God's made, and it represents the process of how God is changing me. But it's much more than that. The Holy Spirit in me is a sampling of what is to come. Have you ever gone to the, to the grocery store on one of the days where they're giving out samples of food and they give you a tiny little bite? They don't give you much. I mean, they, they're intentionally leaving you dissatisfied, but they give you a, a tiny little bite just so you'll think, wow, that's good. What would it be like if I had a whole plate of that, a whole box of that? And see, they're giving you just a sampling. Well, the Holy Spirit, this, this deposit, this down payment that God has put in me of the Holy Spirit, it is just a sampling. It is just a, a sneak peek and a foretaste of all that God is going to do. And I want you to get excited about this. In Romans 8, 23, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit, and you see the whole verse there on the screen, the Holy Spirit, look to the end of the verse, is a foretaste of future glory. The Holy Spirit has done something for me, but his work has just begun. And the work of the Holy Spirit in my life is, is just a glimpse of what God is going to do. And, and there are really two things I ought to see in this. One is a reason to rejoice as I look at all that God is one day going to do. And then the other thing is, is that it helps me to know for certain that I'm a child of God. Now, let me show you what I mean. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, since he is a down payment, he is a partial payment, he, the Holy Spirit is going to leave footprints in our lives and we're going to be able to see what the Holy Spirit is doing and we'll know two things. One is this is just the beginning and it's going to be much better. And number two, 
The Holy Spirit is certainly in my life. So let me talk about some of the evidence, some of the footprints the Holy Spirit will leave in your life. Well, the first one that comes to mind is the fruit of the Spirit. And we read about that over in the book of Galatians chapter 5. And it, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You see the list up there. The Holy Spirit, when he is in our lives, he will produce that attitude. He will produce that spirit. We'll be people of love. We'll be people with joy in our hearts. Even when life is hard, we will have peace and patience and kindness. All of these things will be in our lives. Now I want you to think about your life. I think about mine and I'm thankful for the joy God's put in my life. I'm thankful for the peace that I have and the love that I have and I know that that's all God. God is the one who's brought those things to me. And so it makes me excited. If, if the joy that I know today is just a down payment of the joy that I will one day know with God, then, then how amazing will that joy be? Then that get you excited? So. What I have experienced, the Holy Spirit changing my attitudes in life is just a, a sampling of what the Holy Spirit is going to do one day in my life. Uh, but in the same token, if there's no fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you don't see that today you have more joy, more peace, more patience, kindness, love, gentleness, self-control than you did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, if you don't see these footprints of the Holy Spirit in your life, then, then that's reason for concern. So it's two things. It, it, it is a down payment and causes me to rejoice because I can't wait to have the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, patience, goodness, kindness. But also it's an indicator. It's an indicator that we're children of God. Another evidence is the modification by the Spirit. Uh, probably a better word for that, but let me show you, or at least read to you, Romans 8, 13. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body that you will live. In the following verse, he says, for all those led by God's Spirit or God's sons. Um, it is the Holy Spirit in our lives that changes us, our behavior. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to overcome sin. And as frustrated as I am at the sin that I see in my life, I see that the Holy Spirit has changed me and has matured me and has, and has, and has taken away so much of the sin in my life. That is but a sampling of what the Holy Spirit will do one day. Just a sampling. But it's also an indicator to me that the Holy Spirit is in my life and that I'm a child of God. Uh, the third one is the witness to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we're children of God. <coughs> a part of the assurance that we are saved is just the peace that the Holy Spirit gives to us in our hearts, that inner assurance, that, that inner conviction that we're children of God. And again, that inner conviction I have right now that I'm a child of God is just a down payment of what that's going to be one day. And then finally, I think of the preservation of the Spirit. Preservation of the Spirit. Um, I'm not really good at sticking with things. You ever started a project and didn't finish it? Uh, wives don't uh, elbow your husbands, but are there some half-done projects at your house? Um, I'm a good starter. 
I'm good at starting things. I'm just not always quite as good at finishing things. And I remember when I chose to put my faith and trust in Jesus, that I had a friend at the time uh, that said to me, I won't forget this, he said that there is no way that'll last. He said, I know. I, no, you've done other things. You've gotten excited about other things. You've told us other things. And they didn't last. And this isn't going to last. And you know what? He was right. Except that this perseverance didn't depend on me. It depended on the, on the inheritance from the Lord and the, and the down payment of the Holy Spirit in my life. What he didn't understand is this wasn't just Noel making some crazy commitment. This wasn't just Noel getting excited about some new thing. This, this was the God of the universe putting a down payment in my life of the Holy Spirit and him guaranteeing what is to come. And I've quit a lot of things in the last 35 years, but I've never quit on Jesus. And that's not because there's something good about me, but it's because there's something powerful about the down payment God has put in my life. In fact, the Bible teaches us that perseverance, sticking with it, is the clearest sign, the clearest sign that our faith is genuine. It probably says that a hundred times, maybe 200 times in the New Testament, that that. If, we, if we're genuine children of God, we will stay with it. I've, um, I've seen a lot of people make professions of faith, pray the prayer, put their trust in Christ. And sometimes people ask me, is it real? Is it real? Is it real? I've seen people cry and weep, and then I've seen people that are more stoic. And so people will say, Pastor, is it real? Is it real? Is it real? And I don't know if I've ever been brave enough to say this out loud, but I have always thought this in my heart. Well, ask me again in a year or two and I'll tell you. Ask me again a little later. Because the, the surest sign that our, that our faith is genuine is not the words that we say or the tears that we cry. The surest sign is that we persevere. Let me share with you my favorite perseverance verse. 1 John 2, 19. And we'll show this to you on the screen. It says, they went out from us. It's not talking about people leaving a church and going to another church. It's talking about people who have left the faith. You know people like that. They've left the faith. They were here uh, five years ago or 10 years ago, or, or maybe not here, but they were walking with Christ and no longer. They went out from us. And it says, but they did not belong to us. They never did belong to us. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. What does he say? He says if they really were children of God, then here's what would be true of them. They would have remained. However, it goes on, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them ever belonged to us. If, if you can walk away from your faith, then it was never a genuine faith. Because with genuine faith comes this down payment of the Holy Spirit guaranteed by the power of God with the indwelling Spirit of God, and it will not leave. I had a, um, heard a pastor friend say it this way one time. Faith, you've heard me say this before, 
Faith that fizzles before the finish. Can you finish it? Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. And that stuck in my mind for a very long time because it's just absolutely true. The surest sign that your faith is genuine is that your faith lasts. People will ask me, Pastor, can a person make a profession of faith in Christ, walk with Christ for two or three years, and then just walk away? What do you say about that person? Well, I say, first of all, the jury is out. Hopefully that person will come back. And if that person is a genuine child of God, he or she will come back. But if they don't come back, I'll tell you what the Bible says. 1 John 2, 19, they were not ever adopted into the family of God. And you say, well, that just, I don't understand that, Pastor. Well, it's as simple as when we're saved, God puts this seal on us and puts a down payment in our lives. And unless God is going default on his, on his obligations, your salvation will last. Your salvation will last. What is this inheritance? What is this inheritance? This church is the most wonderful thing that we can have confidence if we have understood and surrendered and trusted in Christ that nothing will take away our salvation. I want to read to you one more passage and I'll close with this. First Peter chapter one talks about the inheritance and it just uses such good words. I've got to read this. He says, it's a prayer, it's a blessing. This ought to be our blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God has saved us through Jesus Christ. And then notice what it says. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, means it will not perish, undefiled, it will not be defiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I rejoice that God from eternity past made a way that I could be a child of God. I rejoice that I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I rejoice as well that I have this inheritance, that I am approved and it is secure and that God is not finished with me, but that what he has done is but a down payment of what I can expect in the future. Glory to God for this great and glorious inheritance. Bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Father in heaven, I pray that every person here will just be, not because of the words of a preacher, but because of the truths of this passage, that we'll just be amazed, that we'll just be overwhelmed with thanksgiving for the glory inheritance that is ours. Father, I pray for those here who trying, who trying to live a good life and do things the right way, but they've never, they've never really understood or they've never really trusted and surrendered. I pray that today, at the end of this service, while we sing or after we close, that they'll reach out to somebody and say, help me. Pastor, help me put my faith in Christ. I want that glorious inheritance. May the rest of us this week, Father, when life's hard or discouraging, these are tough times for a lot of people. But may we live the rest of this week just overwhelmed with thanksgiving for the glorious inheritance that is ours through Christ. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand in both services.